You're listening to the Boozeworks Podcast. This podcast is a service of Boozeworks Consulting, a full-service craft alcohol consulting firm. And now the host of the Boozeworks Podcast, Devin Mills. Hey, everybody. Welcome into the Boozeworks Podcast. I'm your host, Devin Mills, and this is episode number five. Today, we got a requested from Southeast Australia for us to talk about potatoes and making potato vodka. So hopefully this gives you all the information you were looking for. So originally, potatoes were considered a very low quality fermentable. Mostly this is due to them being cheap to grow. When we start looking at starch per acre, which is really the ability to use land to make booze, potatoes are about as good as it gets. Sugarcane can get up there and be pretty close as well. But we kind of see the same opinions towards, say, a, a molasses vodka or a, you know, a white sugar type moonshine spirit. With potatoes, we can grow a ton of potatoes in a very small area, and they're generally fairly starchy. And so we're able to use those to make a lot of ethanol. A potato ends up working out to be about 18% starch. Generally, right now in the U.S., we can grow about 42,750 pounds of potatoes per acre. That ends up giving us 7,695 pounds of starch per acre. When we convert that starch over, it fully converts to sugar, which means we end up getting about half of that as ethanol. So we can get down into, you know, 35, 3,700 pounds of ethanol per acre which works out to, you know, about 400 gallons for every acre. If we compare that back to starch, our barley say, you know, 62% starch, but we're only getting about 60 bushels an acre, uh, 3,600 pounds. So that works out to 2,232 pounds of starch per acre when we're growing, say, barley. That's about a third of what we're getting with potatoes. So we're getting about a third as much ethanol, and so it costs more to farm that acre to get us that alcohol. When people are paying more for something, they have a tendency to perceive it as better. Uh, And so that's why initially potato vodka wasn't considered a high quality vodka. Now things have kind of changed and potato vodka is certainly considered as good as grain based vodkas. Grape is generally considered a good vodka. We still see the sugar vodkas uh, considered as a, a lower quality fermentable. Potato vodka tends to be sweeter than grain vodka, which is one reason that we've seen kind of that increased in perceived quality. Uh, not to mention there's the, the regionality to it and lots of people looking to the home of vodka and going, oh, well, that's what the Polish are doing. There's lots of reasons for it, but what where we were in the past isn't where we are now. So what do we do? I guess there's two things to kind of look at. First is the vast majority of us who are going to some kind of wholesaler of potatoes and buying, you know, large quantities. We're not going to a grocery store, but we're still buying stored potatoes that have sat around for a while. There is a small percentage of us who are able to harvest potatoes and then immediately move them into the process. And that gives a little bit different uh, different numbers. So when we are getting potatoes, no matter what, they need to be cleaned first. Cleaning is generally just hosing off the dirt and rocks. That's an easy step. we got to definitely be careful with the rocks to make sure they don't make it into our mill. Potatoes tend to be starchy for regular food, but not that much compared to grain. So we're looking at about 18% starch is what you're kind of targeting with your potatoes. Really good industrial potatoes can get to 20 to 22% starch. Your table potatoes are going to be relatively low starch, 10 to 12% starch, with russets and Yukon golds on the 12% side and red and white potatoes down on that 10% side. That kind of gives you an idea of how much potato you need, you know, in terms of pounds of starch converts to ethanol. You can figure out how much you actually need in there. 
when we take our potatoes, we need to mill them up. There's a lot of different ways to do it. I like the hammer mill. Most of us have a hammer mill sitting around in our distilleries. The big thing is we need to clean the hammer mill before we put potatoes in there and then clean it again afterwards. They tend to be kind of watery and messy. Uh, and so if you just leave it, it's going to be really hard to mill your dry grain after your potatoes. So hammer mill, one and a half to two mil slot screen in there. We're going to need to adjust the water once we get that milled potatoes in there to five and a half to six pH. At that point, we're looking to heat up. There's a couple different numbers I've seen for what temperature liquefaction occurs with potato starch. I like to use the higher number, which is in that 194 to 203 Fahrenheit range. But I've definitely seen a couple of very credible reports that put that number about 140. I think the difference here is that potatoes tend to be about efficiency. And so when we're trying to maximize our efficiency with our fermentation, going to that higher liquefaction will actually help with the breakdown of cellulose. And so we're getting more things breaking down faster at the higher temperature. I'm not 100% certain uh, if any of you guys happen to know a, a food chemist or a, a biologist out there who might know the answer. I'd love to hear from them and we'll definitely bring them on the show. Once we've done our liquefaction with the potatoes, they basically get treated like starch, any starch. So we're going to bring them down. We're going to do an alpha rest. We're going to do a beta rest. I like to do a protein rest for all of my fermentations because it helps with foaming in the fermenter, helps with foaming in the still, just makes your life easier. Then after we're done with our protein, uh, they're about 130. We'll crash it down to 70 degrees and we're ready to get going with our fermentation. One thing to note is that potatoes are relatively high in pectin particularly when we compare them, again, to grain. If we're comparing potatoes to grapes or apples, they're obviously much lower in pectin. But for most people who are doing starch-based vodkas and spirits, they're used to dealing with grain. Well, when we have more pectin, uh, we end up seeing more methanol production. You can use a, a pectinase or a pectin-eating enzyme to help minimize that methanol production or we can just realize that a larger heads cut is going to be necessary. Uh, generally, I just see a larger head cut taken you know, with potato vodka. We're going to be kind of targeting 7 to 11% alcohol in our fermentation. That's going to be about 2 pounds of potatoes per gallon. Something to note here, and I kind of mentioned it earlier, is that if you are one of those lucky people who are just harvesting straight out of the field using fresh potatoes, fresh potatoes are very juicy. They don't have a lot in common with what we see in the stores. And so with a, a fresh potato, you, you may not need to add any water to your fermentation. If you do, you can add minimal amounts. So mainly with fresh potatoes, it's just mill them, drop them in your fermenter, add yeast and go. Doesn't always work that well for the rest of us. For those fresh potatoes, we're looking 75% water. And so that's where we start seeing those huge gains. You may need to add a little bit of water here or there in order to make it work. The good news is potatoes ferment fairly quickly, uh, particularly when we're talking about potato vodka. And we're looking at three to four days to get us all the way up there to that 10% alcohol. Makes life pretty easy. The big thing to focus on, as with all vodkas, is we need to do fairly cold fermentations. We need to ensure that we're not putting any flavors into our fermenter. No yeast stress, anything that could cause yeast to put off, off flavors. The, the less flavor we put in, the easier it is to remove that flavor and make good vodka. I like to do kind of cold and relatively slow fermentations, and so I tend to be on the kind of four-day end uh, when I'm doing potato vodka. Now that we've got our fermentation, we get to stick that in the still and run it. Again, the, the main thing to look at here is we need to do a fairly large head cut. Make sure we're removing as much of those heads as possible. 
That being said, one of the most common faults I see in potato vodka is that they still have a lot of heads left in there. Even when they're distilled up to 96%, we can still get some of those notes. Uh, So we're talking methanol, acetone, acetyl. Obviously, the methanol is coming from the pectin. Sometimes we're just seeing fermentation problems to get us the acetone and acetyl groups. There's a couple different ways we can deal with it if we weren't able to remove it through our cuts. The most common is activated charcoal. It's not quite as effective at removing the acetone and acetyl, although it does very well on methanol. The other one is CO2, and CO2 actually bonds very strongly to acetone and the acetyl groups, but it's a little bit more complicated to rig up. So when we're talking about activated charcoal, we need to do some kind of bed filter. Uh, The most common thing I see out there are pipes filled with activated charcoal, a bin above, a bin below, and basically we filter the vodka through that. We need to have fairly large pipes. There's a couple different ways to do it if you split it into multiple pipes, but eight foot tall, six inches in diameter is going to give you kind of enough volume of carbon to really make sure that you're removing that. We also need to filter slowly. Uh, I know a lot of you guys like to pump through those little charcoal filter cartridges. One of the ways that activated charcoal works is by having the retention time to actually adsorb onto the skin of that carbon molecule. So I like to filter, particularly when we're using a bed filter, over 24 hours and give it a lot of opportunity for those uh, chemicals to adsorb on. CO2 is much faster, and basically what we're doing here is we can get a tank, put a bubbler in the bottom, and bubble CO2 through there. As the molecules are rising, it'll actually bond to a lot of those acetyl groups, some methanol, and unfortunately a little bit uh, of your ethanol as well. And then those bubbles will come up through the surface, you can vent that tank out, and it basically carries those impurities away. A great example is we see this in the beer world, where people will crack the top of their bright tank, bring up their level of carbonation, and actually vent CO2. It's an easy way to strip flavor out of your beer, but it allows it to carbonate really fast. It's a very similar system, and you can use a lot of the same equipment. The big thing here when you're doing it with vodka is you need to test before and afterwards to make sure that you're giving the time, the volume, and actually getting the chemical removal you're looking for. The last major flaw that we tend to see in vodka, chill haze and sediment, kind of the same things we see in a lot of clear spirits. The big thing to do here is make sure we're using RO water. You know, when we're making whiskeys and rums, using your filter water, your city water, your well water works great because it adds that flavor of location to it. When we're making vodka, that flavor of location is now a fault because we don't want a distinct flavor to our vodka. And so I definitely like RO when I'm making vodka. The next thing is to make sure we don't just dump all that water in there. A couple things happen. When we leave our vodka heart sitting, typically I like to do this in an open top vessel, which is kind of the Russian style. For about three days, we're going to see the most active compounds in that vodka vapor off. Just like what we're seeing in the still, we get the most active things evaporating first. And so we can actually decrease our methanol content just by leaving the vodka sitting open for three days. Now, if you're doing this, please make sure your ventilation system is designed for an open tank of evaporating vodka in your room. It's not that hard, but it definitely takes an extra step. We don't just assume it's working and obviously no smoking by the tank. The other thing to look at is make sure we're adding that water over time. Add a little bit of water, let it heat up, let it react, add a little bit more water. So what I like to do is I do this over the course of a week, five days. So day one, I bring my vodka down to negative five C. Negative five is where we see most of the oils come out of solution. We can run that through just a real simple cellulose filter that'll strip out most of the chill haze immediately. 
Then each day I add a little bit more water, let it react, and run it through a half micron filter. This will make sure that we're not getting any sediment from the bottle. If there was happened to be any haze remaining, it'll be stripped by slowly adding that more water. It allows a little bit more of the oils to come out. Kind of makes your system react easier. Uh, we also see this in the brandy world and that we'll get a better marrying of the water and ethanol when we give it the time to react. And then typically right there at the end, when I'm about 50%, just under 50% alcohol, I'll run it through an activated filter one more time. Something to keep in mind with activated charcoal is that it has a surface wetting. And so if the liquid you're running through your activated charcoal is greater than 50% alcohol, you'll actually wet the surface of your carbon with ethanol and it'll primarily be stripping compounds that bond to ethanol. When a liquid medium that is below 50% ethanol, more than 50% water, we'll see water bonding to those individual carbons and the carbon will primarily strip molecules that are attached to that water. So I do like to do a double stage. I do it at the end because you're going to lose a little bit of water. You're going to lose a little bit of ethanol as you're going through these filters. That'll give you one last day, add the water one final time to make your final 5% ABV step there at the end, let it marry for another 24 hours, and then we're ready to bottle. If you take time to process your spirit afterwards and you take your time in your fermenter so you're not putting more flavor in there, you really can get some superior vodka and it only takes two weeks each batch start to finish. So it's still moving fairly quickly. All right. Uh, if you guys have any questions, please let us know. And as always, give us a review on iTunes. Thanks. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Booze Works podcast. If you have a topic or question you'd like us to focus on for a future podcast, send us an email to podcast at boozeworks.com. Happy crafting and cheers. Cheers.